everyone, and welcome back to a brand new episode of Take Flight Podcast, episode number 192. And we are back with your four favorite hosts, Daniel Johnson, Olu Okanola, Pabilo Timbo, and I, Shuel Ahmed. Now, we are back with an exciting and jam-packed group discussion, talking everything business, news, and more. Uh, this week, the topics we'll be discussing are threads. Is this another clubhouse moment or an actual new platform to add to the growing collection that we all have? The second topic that we'll be diving into is the business of touring. So you've probably seen in the news stars like Drake, Beyonce, Taylor Swift. Some of the world's biggest stars are currently touring and earning record amounts. So we'll be discussing the business model of touring and who is making what. And then finally, to round out the episode, we'll be talking everything about China and deflation. So the UK inflation levels seem hotter and higher than ever. However, China seems to be going through a deflationary moment, which is the other way. So we will unpack why this is happening in the short term and long term implications. With that, it's going to be another great episode. And let's hit the music and start it. Take off, take flight with you. We never fly, but we're flying. Right, guys. Hello, hello. So good to see everyone's uh, faces. I can I can tell that the summer holidays are fully underway because everyone's glowing a little bit. Um, let me go to Daniel Johnson first, because for the listeners who are listening to this and not seeing this, Daniel has got one of the sharpest haircuts. I've seen him model for, for a while, Daniel. Talk us through the haircut and talk us how, how you're doing, because you, you look like you're glowing, my brother. You're having a good summer so far. No, you know, I'm not going to lie. I think because I'm using a different device. This camera is considerably better than my own MacBook, <laughs> so I think it's adding a bit of a, a bit extra HD. I'll, I'll say that for free, so it's nothing, nothing in particular. Um, but yeah, I'm doing well. Just come back from a recharge week um, from work, so it's been a nice week just to uh, not do too much. Did a lot of things, but not have to do um, mentally taxing things work related. So I'll probably do a takeaway episode on that in the next couple of weeks. But yeah, all. all all things being equal, I'm doing well. Family doing great as well. It's good to hear, Daniel. I think if I had to look at you and I had to describe it, it would definitely be recharged with a capital R in bold and underlined. So you're looking fresh. But it's good. As a, good day as, a Span- a good break. as the Spanish say, tranquilo. <laughs> uh, right. So let, actually, with that, nice that you close that in uh, Spanish, Daniel. Let's go to our fluent French speaker, Olu Okanola, who will do his intro and update in uh, in French for the listeners who, who listen and understand French. So, Olu, over to you. How <laughs> you doing? <laughs> Bonjour. Um, je m'appelle Olu. Uh, no, <laughs> the way P was looking at me like, why is he acting like he's going to read? Yeah, he's like, he's like, <laughs> um, it's been a mixed week um, for me. I think P Ooh. noticed Ooh. that... Um, my car got clamped. Um, oh, okay. From that standpoint, yeah, yeah. yeah. Just, where are you going with this? <laughs> a couple of um, couple of weeks ago, um, I found out that I didn't have any road tax and it expired <laughs> for like three months. <laughs> so I was like, "Wait, what?" So because my road tax is zero, I've got like a low emission car. I don't have to pay anything for my road tax, but you have to register still every single year. So because it's zero, I'm not really thinking about it outside out of mind. And then I came out from football. Just saw my car clapped and I said, okay, cool. <laughs> um, so I called him up, finally registered um, and got it removed the next day, which was good. Um, and then secondly, I pulled my groin from football. So I'm moving around very slowly right now. So my body doesn't recover the same way it used to, but um, I'll be back in like two weeks. Don't worry about two. it. Two? No, you're 30 plus. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> you ain't no professional getting daily yeah. massages and daily treatment. No, no, Time's no. I've been free, brother. I've been icing it. I've been icing it, and it's um, it's getting better. It's getting yeah, better. So, we'll Daniel, see. I think you're, I think you're being generous, Daniel. Timesing it by three. I was gonna times it by ten straight up because I saw what <laughs> I, saw, I, yeah, <laughs> I saw. Yeah, I saw. I saw Copenhagen last summer, and mate, Olu's Olu when he's shifting gears, that's not. Uh, a light movement. So if that's been strained, boy, you need to relax. Olu, be careful, you know, because you say three weeks, you think you're good and fit. You go onto that pitch, you try one burst, boy, you burst. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I'll take it slow for a few weeks when I return and then work my way back before the season starts, just in case any of these Saudi teams are looking for any additional players, hit me out. Oh, is it? Hit me is it? Nah. Okay, well, <laughs> all right, before we start to get a bit too delusional on this podcast, let's see um, how uh, P, P, how you doing? How's it going? Yeah, I'm well. I'm I'm well. The family's well. We've just had a couple family events over the last couple of weeks, but yeah, all good. Great. No no major updates um, or anything. You know, I didn't fly a private jet this week. Uh, you know, maybe next week or the yeah, week we after. Should, so we should start like um, for every episode but, um, we record, do like a Olu PJ tracker or something like that because of the last episode yeah. questions he was asking. Yeah, just keep just keep checking in. But now, apart from that, all good. <laughs> In, in, Wait, what? In a great you don't you want to talk about finally getting back on your gym routine? I'm seeing again the 4 a.m. going into the oh, gym. I was always, out. yeah, it's funny when when you go private, people think it's no longer happening. I was always, mm. my routine's never changed. It's it's always it's it's in my DNA. That's just that now I'm sure finally seeing the results. So I thought you maybe stopped for. Oh, is it? I see. I see. No, no, no. I'm not even nowhere near my peak. Um, but yeah, the plan was always second half of the year go public. First half of the year be private. So um November fifth. November fifth. So uh, no, nah, not this year. Not this November fifth. Yeah. It's a, it's, a, it's a mistake to put a date in the calendar. Just keep going forever. Cool. Sure, good what to about hear. yourself? Good to you? and, yes, yeah, all, exactly. Yeah, yeah, all good on on my side as well. So I followed um Pabilo's lead and I would just go back from Portugal. So into the south of Portugal with my with my wife. I, I I don't know if the listeners will know, but after I got married last August, um together with my wife we decided to try and put some fun into traveling again and try and visit 12 countries in 12 months and now it's month 11 of getting married and we have hit 11 countries which is good um and then in the next couple of weeks we'll be hitting country 12 and, and 13 and then taking a break for at least a couple of months before we hit the road uh, again but yeah really good break nice sun too much food uh but good to be be back uh for a few days before we fly off uh, again so yes now with that let's get into the episode so despite how busy or non-busy everyone has been in this group i'm sure that no one has missed it in the news of a new product being launched by meta formerly known as facebook and that product is called threads now for anyone that isn't aware of uh, threads it's a text-based social media platform and this has been launched by meta and it's been a product that has been launched almost through its Instagram platform, with it being connected through people's Instagram profiles, almost making it a one-click sign-on, but another app still has to be uh, downloaded. Now, the focus is text-based. So looking at it, you could argue that it's a copy of Twitter, but I'm sure we'll get into this in the group discussion today. Um, so just some facts around the size of threads before we understand together the, the business opportunity, how they've set it up, and also why it could work and why it won't work. So since launching in just a matter of weeks, from what we last could find out, it has 92 million signups in a matter of weeks. Now, in comparison to Twitter, Twitter has 350 million annual active users. This was the last published uh, information. 
And just for reference as well, Instagram has a multi-billion people using the platform as well. So in terms of size, it's fastly approaching where Twitter is already at, um, but still quite far away from where Instagram is in the current pool of people using Instagram. Now, in terms of the, the actual model itself, just looking at Twitter for reference. So Twitter with its 350 million users was able to generate around $5 billion in revenue. So just to get a feeling of the of the size and of that $5 billion that Twitter was able to get for revenue, around 90% of that is driven by advertising. So with Threads, there could be an opportunity to get advertising revenue, which Mark Zuckerberg has not decided to switch on yet. I think the last reference I would give the listeners before we go into a group discussion is Clubhouse. So Clubhouse was another platform which exploded on the scene, I think, a few years ago. We even did a podcast episode <laughs> about it, which I was listening back to, which is a funny, uh, funny reference in terms of our excitement for Clubhouse at that time. But Clubhouse at its peak was able to get 10 million people actively using it, I think, per week. So Threads has already surpassed that, and that's probably the power of Instagram coming through. So just to set the scene, those were some of the numbers, some of the references, and also the the overall business model. Um, but let's, let's understand a bit more about maybe Meta, Facebook, how their business model operates and how this has come through with the, with the Threads release. Uh, maybe with this, we can go to Olu to get your, your thoughts. Yeah, sure. So I think when we look at Facebook, um, meta um, and really just looking at the last few years in regards to innovation or copying I think a lot of people have come out and said that they've been copying other companies features functionalities I think before you go into that you need to really understand the different stages of a business so whenever a business starts there's really four key stages you've got the startup stage if anyone's watched um social as a social network um the movie you'll see sort of the background on how facebook got started um then you hit that sort of growth stage um where they start to acquire customers revenue etc then you get to that maturity space where it's like they're now so big that they start to hit that maturity space and then finally the fourth stage is either they need to renew so come up with a new business model, look at any competitors, attack those competitors, or they start to decline. A perfect example of this was the blockbuster Netflix. If you've looked at that, and I always tell people that's a great case study to actually look into is you see a new company come out such as Netflix, which had a new way of delivering movies and showing it, putting on the internet, etc. Blockbuster had the old traditional, you had to send it out. They refused to change their business model because they said this is how it is this is how it works we're doing right now that maturity stage and now how many people go to blockbuster does a blockbuster store actually exist no it's declined it's failed so now let's go back to facebook really understanding okay what stage is facebook currently at so facebook is currently at that maturity stage the reason why i know is that maturity stage is if you look at their active users they've got around 2.9 billion hours if I look at how many they've added year over year, you're looking at roughly less than 10%. So they're not growing at such a massive space. They're really at that mature space. So now the key thing is really how do they stop themselves from failing and declining? The best way to do that is really instead of innovating, because it's a lot harder when you're massive organizations, is crush the competitors by copying and releasing a feature onto your already 2.9 billion users, Right. That basically stops any new company from starting because it's like, hey, I've got this new feature, really cool, whatever, et cetera. There's always that barrier of either you've got to download a new app 
or you need to pay for it. No, just use your Instagram, use your Facebook, an application that already exists and just use that. And I'm just going to, before I pass it on to the rest of the team, right? I'm just going to talk about some of the key innovations or some people would say copying from other companies. August 2016, right? Instagram introduced stories, which was a lot of people would say replicating Snapchat, Snapchat's functionality. They came up with Facebook Marketplace also in that year in 2016, which again, peer-to-peer shopping on Gumtree. Um, in 2020, they had uh, Messenger Rooms, which again was competing with like Zoom, House Party, those. August 2020, they came up with the Reels, which again was like TikTok. They saw another competitor come out and said, how could we copy that? How could we replicate that within our um, ecosystem? And then now recently, which is what we're talking about in this topic, is around the threads, which is copying or replicating what they have in Twitter. Now, I think what's slightly different with this versus the other innovation is they've typically added it as a feature on their current application. This one's different because it's a separate app. There's a level of barrier to now people have to actually download the app, register, sign up to it. But yeah, that's sort of the business model and how to think about it. But Really, the key thing is if you don't want to decline, you've got to find a way to innovate. It's very difficult in big organizations. So the next thing to do is crush your competitors by copying the features and introducing it to your already massive user base. Love it, Olu. So comprehensive as well. And I think not to discount on the fact about copying, because copying as a strategy may seem quite easy. But those examples that you gave, Olu, are very successful examples of copying and distribution done at scale and really generating a, a sizable business from that. So then maybe we'll go to, to to Daniel next to get your thoughts, because I think, Olu, you've really set the scene for us. Um, but then, Daniel, how can we make sure that this isn't a clubhouse moment, right? That it's not going to like peak and crash very quickly. Why Why do you think it, it could work and it could become a great new platform? No, I think Olu set the scene very well because uh, a number of factors that he mentioned, such as the copying of stories, Instagram reels, which has made them successful to date, factor into why I think threads could be a success. But what I'm actually going to say isn't necessarily directly to Meta. It's actually based on, the comp- on their competition, Twitter. When you look at Twitter right now, you know, there's been talks about Zuck and Musk getting into a, um, into a, into a ring to have a fight, but the real fight, the real battle, is actually on the mobile phones right now, and I think that's where they need to focus their attention. Twitter, you know, last year got a new owner, no, a new owner, Elon, who had a lot of ideas on how Twitter should be run, but unfortunately, in his era, it hasn't gotten off to a great start. They've had a number of issues, such as his polarizing figure. Some people love him, others just can't stand him, and therefore don't use his platform anymore. The Twitter Blue subscription, which um, was introduced, but then also the price of the subscription um, was increased. The algorithm and content moderation policies were adjusted and have scared away advertisers, some even leaving the platform, and also most recently limiting the number of posts users can view each day. And the fact that on its first day, Threads had 30 million signups, and five days later, 100 million. It's no, it's no coincidence that this is potentially could be the Twitter killer. That's what's been um, heavily said on social media. And because, like Olu said, Thread is Thread is embedded with Instagram, which has over two, uh, if I recall correctly... 2.4, um, I think they have on Instagram. Billion. Yeah, billion. And then I think yeah. they have two, yeah, 2 billion monthly active users, in fact. Mm-hmm. If they can just get 25% of the active users, that's 500 million active users on Threads alone that eclipses um, Twitter. I think opportunities will come 
when advertisers may see that Threads is more lucrative, that will then eat away the competition from Twitter. Um, and even to mention that Meta has made the smart choice of leveraging their most popular asset, Instagram, and using this to springboard, springboard Threads to have a quick and successful launch. I think this is probably their most successful product launch to date. And when you think about even how they brought, I think they've been speaking about this since March 2023 this year. And when you look at what they originally were going to do is launch on a Thursday, they brought that forward by a day. And it just goes back into like their sort of startup mentality, just release, just ship products, ship products. We can fix things as they go along. And I'm not on threads, but I've heard that it's not probably the best product, probably about 80% there. There's still a bit of improvement that's required. Um, and I know people go into why it potentially couldn't work, but I just thought that's a, a key key factors to say of why it probably could work, why it could be successful. Um, but yeah, I think it's you know great healthy competition. I think uh, Musk probably isn't very happy. Probably will try and file some lawsuits against this. They even tried to say that Meta stole some Twitter engineers um, to to come and build this product. But yeah, who knows? Who knows what happens? Uh, I think Meta did respond, and they responded in threads to, the, to those allegations. Yeah. <laughs> I think I think Musk yeah. is sweating at the moment, for sure. He's sweating at the moment, especially. I remember we did an episode, and maybe we need to revisit it at another date on um, Elon Musk and Twitter and how he will make it successful. I think there's a few people on this podcast who were saying that how um, there's no wrong that Elon can't do no wrong. Like, but right now he's sweating. I think P is. Um, Daniel, you mentioned the fact that Elon went on Twitter and said he wanted to fight, if I remember, Mark Zuckerberg. Um, I saw a picture that Mark Zuckerberg posted a few days ago. And I'm just going to tell Elon Musk now, you don't want that problem. You don't want that problem. But you're also forgetting that Musk is jujitsu trained as well. So both of them, like, I know Musk, I know, you know, uh, Zuck's taken it seriously, but also Musk has done stuff in the past, but maybe he's a retired professional fighter, a bit like Pete with karate. <laughs> I remember a few karate days. Hey, anyone, any listener, Google Pepino Timbo, Edmonton County, or karate. Hey, You'll get signed hey, out of archives. Hey, oh, I've got, God. I've got how many, how many, are we laugh, but I've got, I've got what, 14 medals in the draw, of which I think 80% are gold. <laughs> so, in the end, for the next episode, what I can do is, um, when I get back home, I can get them. Because cause I realised you guys were laughing a bit too hard, so I need to just make sure we set the record straight. <laughs> okay, 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 okay. Anyway, so actually on that, on that note, on that note about setting the record straight. So I think, Daniel, Daniel, you framed a very positive bullish case with some great numbers, reinforcements, the competition is sweating. So I think for many of the listeners, if they were just listening to Daniel's argument just then, will be long meta and Threads is going to win. But let's let's play the reverse of that, of that discussion. So, P, if you were... If you were on the other side of the fence and you said, look, this is just another clubhouse moment, this is just going to crash and burn, what, what would be your take on why you don't think it will it will work? Yeah, I, I mean... Without, without, guys, without, any, without any karate moves. Yeah, no, I mean, just, just, for, just for the record, national champion all up and down the country. <laughs> but well, we, can, we can get into it later. Um, but just, I think, I think there's just a couple of points. Um, guys, you've, you've mentioned some really, really great insights, which, which I think are great for the followers to sort of um, listen to. I think... The very first obvious one, and Olu mentioned it, is that Threads is not a unique business model. So the fact that it the, the fact that it lacks innovation may actually be the reason why it doesn't go on to succeed as maybe as well as it's kind of started. So it's a very simple, obvious one, but it's to what you've mentioned, Olu, and perhaps rightly so because of where they are, it's a very much a copycat to to Twitter, um, and that's the primary purpose. So we're 
the innovation perhaps needs to come out over time, maybe to give it a better chance of success for the long run. I think if you compare that to, to Instagram itself, Instagram is, is, a, is a unique value proposition compared to threads, even though it's just a feature. One of the things potentially that, that has remained to be seen, but we'll see over time, is threads may actually come up against the same challenges that Twitter faced over its period, right? So un unless they've got the guys in the team to figure out how to sort of navigate through those challenges, censored posts, um, you know, controls around free speech. So these are the things that could actually hinder its ability to continue growing at such a fast pace. And then we're obviously, you have to wait and see what they do from an ad space uh, standpoint. But off to a great start. Uh, it is obviously quite challenging at this stage to see, you know, what could potentially be their pitfalls. But I think those are two reasons um, now, as we see it, that could actually slow their growth. I just, I just like to add, and no, I completely agree with you, Pete. I think one other element that could potentially hinder or slow their growth is regulation, regulators. I think with um, Meta being a formidable social media giant, the regulators, governments may be increasingly concerned about Zuckerberg's influence and power that he has within the social media arena. And also we've seen that Meta have been hit by a number of jurisdictions around their you know, policies and, and data. So I think that could also be something that they shouldn't be blind that, that, that I'm sure they have in their in their foresight that they wouldn't necessarily disregard and just think it can be smooth sailing from here. Great points, and uh, yeah, P. I think it's a good good reminder for us all to almost hold our horses uh, a little bit. And that reg regulation point that you mentioned, Daniel, I think it was also something I was reflecting on that Olu was saying about the the fact that they're having to copy. Maybe before where they could acquire something like Instagram or WhatsApp. Because they weren't so big at that time, those acquisitions could easily go through from a regulatory standpoint. But now if they wanted to acquire Twitter, for example, I'm sure the, the hurdles are so high now that they probably wouldn't even be allowed to buy it because of the regulations. So almost copying is the only way that they're going to innovate now moving forward, um, potentially. And for, and for those that didn't know, I think Zuckerberg tried to buy Twitter back in 2008. But the two parties couldn't agree on a number. So I think Zuckerberg's been a, 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 a long-time admirer from a distance of Twitter, and now he's just decided to strike. So talking about um, talking about strikes and Pabilo's karate moves, let's close this segment and we go on to the next one. But just to close out on this segment, one quick question for the for the gentleman: If you had to go long threads, as in you believe this is a, a rocket ship, or short threads that this is just going to go go down again, this isn't financial advice. We're just talking about this specific product, and these are four gentlemen who are friends with each other wanting to have a discussion around this product threads long or short uh let's go in reverse order p threads long or short long long daniel long olu long <laughs> oh, all right i'm just gonna say short just to be uh just to be on the other other side of the uh, of the argument and we can listen to this uh, one back question is, have out to... of the people on the podcast how many of you how many have signed up out of us four because i think for daniel said for it to be successful right only probably around 20% of the Instagram users need to sign up on it. So, yeah, 25%. I, don't, I think you and I are on. I think the two... Uh, yeah. Shua, are you on it? Yeah, I signed uh, up. Do you know how long I've been wanting... I've been waiting for something like Fred's? Yeah, well, because I've been using Twitter and I've actually been taking Twitter content to Instagram and I've been doing it manually over the years. And, and so to have something that's already plugged in Instagram where I can basically share my thoughts around the topics I like to discuss and quickly share it with my audience. It's a very, very small, minute thing, but it's such a convenience just to be able to share whatever I've actually tapped in versus cutting, copying, and pasting. And so it's, it's sure. um, just for, literally for that reason, it is, it is super, super convenient, um, which is why I've said long. Pete, Pete sorry, I don't want to dwell on, this, don't, don't, um, dwell on this too long, but Pete, how many 
how not this isn't like an ego or anything. How many followers do you have on Twitter? Oh, uh, not a lot. Like um, about um, twenty or so. It's 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 not a lot at all. And now on Insta- and on Threads, I think I've got like two hundred. Okay, cool. Yeah, that, that was my so, point. I was going to see what's the engagement like compared to. But yeah, anyway, so we that, digress. But people, thirty nine followers on, on Twitter. And now, do you remember you had that viral post on Inst- on Twitter? Which which then no 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 it was viral it was viral on Instagram it was created in Twitter ah, which okay. makes me then think that those not to say in a rude way but then those people that viral post didn't equate to them more followers on Twitter whereas now if that was too no. viral no nah, but I think it's because um, people were saying that it went viral on Instagram so it's when he copied oh. and pasted on Instagram it went viral yeah, and he got yeah, the followers on Instagram that, yeah but my my point is that people didn't then say oh this guy's got good content let me go and follow him on Instagram mm. it yeah, could yeah, not yeah. be the case that it goes viral on Instagram no. and people then start following on threads. Because yeah. it's a thread related content, yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, so Twitter media. could be done by the summertime, bro. <laughs> if it is, we'll revisit that, over. revisit that topic, it, it could be over yeah, we could. very quickly. This will be a good episode to okay, re- cool. revisit back. Um, but then with that, so talking about audiences and summertime, so we're now into the, the, the summer where there seems to be festivals going, tours are in full swing. We've seen some of the biggest stars like Drake and Taylor Swift who are generating multi-million dollars, hundreds of millions in some cases. And we wanted to understand together the business model of touring. So why do artists seem to want to build up this touring muscle and try and exploit that as much as they can? So again, just some numbers to set the scene. So Taylor Swift is projected to earn on her current tour $300 million. And this is a, a global tour, I think, focused primarily on North America and then uh, then Europe. Beyonce also, uh, just another reference, is going to generate over $100 million on her tour. And for those of you that follow the inflation news, uh, a Swedish minister was recently commenting on why Swedish inflation was so high. And he actually used the fact that Beyonce was in the country on tour as a reason why the inflation was so high in the in the country. So you're seeing the sizable impact of this tour, these tourings. Um, and then of course Drake. Drake is back on back on the road, his first tour since after the pandemic. And he's also projected to make more than a hundred million. So Lots of big numbers, big artists with big followings, and they're looking to monetize their, their fan base. So in this segment, we're going to understand a little bit about around the business model. Is this potentially a, a COVID impact still, or do you think there's going to be more tours in the future? So maybe, Daniel, why don't you walk us through the, the business model of, of uh, touring, and if you're actually planning to see anyone on tour this year? Yeah, Drake's 100 million minus that 250,000 in it for the, for the late fees for going <laughs> over the curfew. <laughs> Yeah, um, no, no, I think in terms of the business model of music touring, uh, I think it primarily revolves around generating revenue through live performances and related activities. And there are about, I've, I've got a list of about seven different ways that they can create revenue and what the model is. The first being ticket sales, which is the primary source of revenue, and fans purchase tickets to attend the concerts, the shows, the, the, live, uh, the, the, the live show, um, and then the income generated depends on factors such as whether the artist is popular, the venue capacity, and the ticket pricing. Um, secondly, merchandise sales. Artists often sell merchandise um, around these events, posters, albums, t-shirts, etc., and souvenirs for fans. Recently, with the you know with the crypto space, NFTs also give some you know a, a higher level of sort of sense of uh, ownership. Sponsorship and endorsements is the third. Um, I won't go into detail because some of these are self-explanatory. You also then have VIP packages and upgrades which many artists offer. 
and then ancillary sales. So beyond just the tickets and merchandise, um, Musitos can also generate income through various ancillary sales, such as concession foods, beverages, um, parking fees, on-site services, which typically may be in the US, but also in the UK, depending on how the arrangement is with such venues like the O2 Wembley, that could also be part of um, their revenue. Then licensing and broadcast rights, which many people aren't aware of, that if a live performance is recorded and then licensed for television or to Netflix, this also then creates more revenue for themselves or in the old days, DVD releases as well. And then lastly, um, whilst it's not particularly direct revenue stream, um, the touring is promotion. So from um, the, the crucial role in promoting an artist's music or their brand, maybe um, releasing music around the same time, increasing fan engagement to drive more uh, music sales or streams, etc., is um, a popular way of doing things as well. But one thing to mention that everything I've said all depends on the artist's popularity. No, I can't now go and release an album and expect to be, you know, making Taylor Swift money. No. So you got to you got to factor that in. And I think sometimes people often think that musical artists, especially up and coming ones, just go on tour and make money. But you have to realize to generate the money, you have to spend a lot of money mm -hmm. in these shows because whilst that 300 million is a lot, I wouldn't even want to hazard a guess how much goes into the lighting production of each show every night, traveling with your the production team, Avian Lighting. Um, dancers, singers, etc., traveling around the world. So I'm sure it's a very exhausting time as well for artists. But to your point, your question, Cheval, do I have any plans? No, I've only went to I went to a concert last month, Hans Zimmer. Um, but I have no, I, I don't really go to, to to live shows in the UK. If you get me a job on Ashanti back in Chicago, <laughs> I'm there. Murder. Holla, holla. Actually, with that Hans Zimmer one, is he on a tour, Daniel? Or was it like a one-off or like a, a select amount of shows that he was doing? He usually does a tour, the world of Hans Zimmer, every year. Um, he's got the next one in London in April next year. But yeah. Okay, perfect. But it's a, it's a great economic model, Daniel, as, you, as you've laid out on the multiple streams. And I think with all the artists that we've mentioned so far, these are people that have really established a long brand in itself and are able to really monetize as much as they are doing now. And actually your explanation, Daniel, it made me think back to an episode that we did, an interview episode, which is episode number 119, where we did a Take Flight Talks episode with Anish, who's a um, Asian British Bengali artist, and he's also um, a musician, producer, etc. And he actually speaks a lot about uh, in detail and real life examples of some of the uh, the items that Daniel mentioned. But a really good summary there by you, Daniel, as well. So, so yeah, so multiple revenue streams as an artist, and I think these guys have really established a long term brand that they're able to monetize at the at the end. Um, and I think that there's obviously that question that can come to all of our all of our can come into all of our minds about whether this is just another post-pandemic bounce and then it will come back down again but I think the way that these artists have built such a strong brand and such a strong following then I don't think this is another COVID bounce that will drop down I think with these artists they'll continue to monetize it at least for the short term before maybe the long term it shifts to other other artists uh, and then actually with this um, let's go to your 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 take Olu in terms of in the, in the future, do you think now it's just lots of people touring because they want to generate some money post-COVID and post-lockdowns as, as an artist? Or do you think we are going to see more and more people touring in the in the future? Uh, again, I, I, I guess I look at, is it more versus the COVID time where there was a lockdown or is it more in comparison to pre-COVID? And personally, I don't think it's a more state. I think we're probably going to return back to the norm um, of artists touring it's quite funny i just received a text message from a friend of mine um talking about 50 cent um concert in uh in november 
Um, so I, I and I can't even remember the last time Fifty Cent <laughs> went on tour, right? So mm. I think we're just probably going to go to the same sort of cycle as what we went to pre-COVID. I think the big difference is, and when I saw the prices, I noticed the prices difference. I think it's just really the inflation on the ticket prices. So like Fifty Cent's tickets, he's saying the lowest is one hundred and sixty pounds for a ticket, and I'm like, hmm, interesting. Back in the day, the last concert I went to, like proper went to, was the Jay-Z and Kanye um, concert, right? And I'm sure the tickets were probably 60, 70 pounds and I got really decent seats, right? So it's pretty much doubled in a short space of time. So yeah, answering your question, I don't think we're going to see increase to yeah pre-COVID because I do believe we're going to probably see the same level, but we're going to start to see technology being implemented into tours more often so i think right now we'll probably be seeing i don't know how much of that generates um how much of the revenue was generated from um streaming so mm-hmm. i know nowadays people will be able to stream um, someone's concert now we're getting the vr glasses people are going to be able to put that on and be able to feel like they're actually at the concert but i think it all goes down to what daniel pretty much said you need to be a superstar to be able to sell out tickets. I know for the Beyonce tour, I have friends who went to multiple <laughs> dates of Beyonce, right? Even traveled abroad to go to watch Beyonce. Um, but yeah, I don't see it increasing much since um, pre-COVID. I, uh, Olu, just to get a sense also, um, that 50 Cent concert, how how big do you think the venue is that he's playing at? Is it like a small venue or is it like a, a stadium Wembley. tour? He's going to do Wembley. Wembley. Yeah, Wembley. I'm not sure of his stadium. I'm going to assume it's Wembley Stadium. But yeah. I won't be surprised. He's definitely going to sell it out. Um, so hold on, it can't be Wembley Stadium. Probably SSE Arena. He will not <laughs> no, sell out be, no, 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 no. Daniel, you'll be half the seats. Unless they're moving half the seats. Let's let me check quickly. Um, whilst whilst you're checking that, yeah. I think one thing that adds to sell out performances, maybe not Fifty Cent because he's kind of past his prime, is the scarcity of are they going to do another tour? Like Beyonce, mm. this potentially could have been a final tour. No one knows. So it's like I want to catch them in my lifetime before they stop going on tour before mm. life events change like for example when Adele does a, a tour or a concert people go because you know her she'd be like yeah I'm not doing anything for five, for five years because <laughs> I was lucky to go to the one back in 20 I think it was 2017 which was before she took her five six year hiatus mm. but it's the fact that if you're that big you create the scarcity of this could be like the last tour and therefore you'll get more ticket sales and Daniel you're, you're right it's not Wembley Stadium. It's OV. <laughs> OV Arena. Arena. <laughs> Arena. Just, I knew it could have been. He's not selling that Wembley Arena. But, yo, 50 Cent, if you are listening to the podcast, I came from Daniel. I st- I personally think you can sell out Wembley Arena. I came from Daniel. He's yeah, a drum fan as well. And 50, to finish off your, finish off your caption, if you post me, hashtag get the strap. <laughs> <laughs> Oh my god! All right, cool. And actually, on that note about getting getting uh, the strap, we can move on to the 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 final final topic. But thank you guys for helping us understand more about the business of touring and what will be definitely a profitable and exciting summer for some of the stars that we've mentioned. So, just to to, to recap, the first topic we spoke about was the threads launch. The other element that we spoke about were the business of tours. Now, both of these components, threads launching and touring of the stars that we mentioned, 
neither of them have actually impacted China as a country. And this is actually the final topic that we're going to be discussing, which is Chinese deflation. And maybe because those things that we talked about earlier in the episode, not launching or impacting China could be a reason because of the deflation. But let's have a, a deep dive together. Now, just to recap for the listeners, inflation around the globe at the moment. So the UK is top of the charts at 9%, 8 point something rounded to 9%, we can say. The EU is around 5 to 6%. I've only selected high, uh, I'm only highlighting selected countries or, or regions just for our discussion. The US has just recently come in at around 3%. So they've really got a strong control on inflation now. And Japan is also around the 3% mark as well. But if you go through some of the, the major economies on any list of inflation at the moment, one anomaly is China, which seems to be having deflation, which in essence is where prices start to come down versus previous year. And this is interesting because a lot of the other countries or regions that we've just mentioned are going up and are struggling to control inflation, whereas China seems to be having the opposite challenges where the prices are coming down with deflation. And with high inflation comes higher interest rates. So we've seen the Bank of England recently announce higher interest rates, whereas in China, they're actually going the opposite way where they are looking to reduce the rates, the central bank, and what implications this could have, we could we could understand in, in a bit more detail in this discussion. So let's go to uh, Pabilo first in terms yeah. of helping us understand why, why is China going into deflation anyway compared to the rest of the world? Yeah, I think it's super interesting because for the last couple of months, all we've ever spoken about is a high inflationary environment. So to talk about deflation seems very um, and uncommon, for especially for our conversations. But just to dive straight in, into the points, um, so it's, it's, it's important not to make the mistake that China is actually growing. It's just that it's growing at a very, very much slower pace than what they anticipated compared to that post-pandemic um, era. I think the, 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 maybe one of the main drivers is the fact that they have still have weak commodity prices due to continuous price cuts. They have sort of this mid-year online shopping festival, 618, and that's, that's countrywide. So you know, at some point, those price cuts have either got to stop slow or they've either got to sort of start to increase those prices again. Tensions with the US is, is certainly a driver. Uh, and what that does ultimately is um, affect confidence from a business standpoint and, and maybe foreign investment. One topic also is around, I think it might be time for China to start thinking about shifting their traditional form of stimulus into sort of big ticket infrastructure, real estate uh, deals, which has been their driver for so many years into focusing more on the actual consumers. So if you look at what's happened in the US, for example, where they had stimulus packages, that might be something that might be something that China have to consider just to stimulate more um, demand. And maybe one other, one other driver could actually be around the fact that youth unemployment is at a record high. So if you, if you put all this in one and you mix it up, you, you get kind of a deflationary type of environment. And ultimately what is needed is, is sort of, you know, capital liquidity injected into the system to stimulate some sort of uh, growth and demand coupled with low interest rates. Yes, yeah, great uh, contrast that you've given us, P, especially if you look at the UK or Western Europe uh, uh, or the Western world economies at the moment. And I think at the moment, everyone is so hung up on inflation being so high and some of the challenges that comes with that. But on the opposite end of the spectrum, even when prices are going low with youth unemployment, as you've really nicely laid out, this can also cause other bigger issues as well and probably more systemic. So I think with this, let's think about the, the short-term implications of a deflation environment because maybe some of our listeners can't even remember when the last time we were in a deflationary environment, if ever. So maybe, Daniel, you can walk us through some of the short-term implications that this may have on, on China and maybe the broader world as well. 
in terms of the short-term impact, I think Pete covered quite a lot of them. And just to just to gloss over them, I think it's going to make it more difficult for borrowers to service their debts as the rising value of money makes fixed loan pay, um, payments more expensive relative to the cost of other goods. Uh, many Chinese businesses and local governments are, um, are currently carrying very high levels of debt as well, which would complicate their financial future as they face declining revenues. And with P's mention about unemployment, I think May more than a fifth of 16 to 24-year-olds were unemployed. Um, that's the largest pop- proportion since records began in 2018 and higher than in European countries such as France and Italy. So I think it's going to be, you know, in a short-term period, it's going to be quite difficult, just as any inflationary period similarly is is difficult. I don't think people should see just because the cost of um, things are cheap and uh, money is more powerful, it shouldn't necessarily be seen as a, as a positive thing. I think when you're in an inflation period, you can probably see, oh, I'd rather be on that side. But it still does have its um, ramifications, short-term and long-term, which I, I don't want to go into right now. I think we'll save that for um, f- for Olu. But that's a perfect bridge. Great points, Daniel. And that's a perfect bridge to, to Olu to maybe walk us through some of the, the long-term implications of, of a deflationary environment. Yeah, I think the, there's been some great points that have been mentioned by Pibilo and Daniel. Um, just in regards to deflation, how to think about it. Because naturally, when you think about deflation, you're like, wait, this is perfect. Things are going down in price. I should be celebrating. Uh, But I think P and Daniel obviously highlighted the impact on the economy that that has. Um, Also, just the, the mental element of it in terms of consumers. So if you think things are continuously dropping, you might say, you know what, let me hold off buying now because prices are going to continue dropping, which then accelerates or increases the deflation that you actually see. Now, when we think about China, obviously there's the economy element of it, but I also see it as a leading indicator because China is classed as, I would say, probably probably the manufacturing hub center. If you look at a lot of your products, they're made in China or components parts from there are from China. So if we start to see a deflation in those environments, prices will go lower when you're manufacturing or the company that I work for, we manufacture pull parts from different countries. If we source from China, those prices are going to go lower, which would then mean that American companies or Western companies will potentially be able to have more margin or also start to reduce their inflationary impact because they're able to produce goods at a lower price. So I do think that that's one way to think of it is by China going into a deflationary environment as manufacturing and sourcing from China continues, we will start to see a reduction in our inflation. So probably get closer back to that 2 3% versus the 9%, 6% that we're seeing in certain countries. Um, but I think also what's going to happen is China will have to do um, quantitative easing right? Um, They're going to have to reduce interest rates, which is similar to what we saw with the housing crisis where interest rates went significantly lower, which would then mean you're creating another cycle, asset inflation, a bubble where assets will start to become overvalued because as borrowing becomes cheaper, then now you're basically creating that demand, which then those assets will start to go up. So those are the two ends that I see, I think, locally in China, by them having to do the quantitative easing, lower interest rates to sort of compact that deflation, you're going to see a higher demand. You're probably going to see an asset bubble emerge 
over a period of years. And then in other countries outside of China, we'll probably start to see um, a reduction in our inflation because we'll be sourcing products from China at a lower price as they're in a deflationary environment. And I was just going to say, in terms of long-term output, I think, we, I think I'm think i sure China hope it's not going to be similar to what Japan faced, where they were trapped in a deflationary spiral for over 20 years. So, you know, both being Southeast, um, Southeast Asian countries, let's hope that's not going to be a 20, multi-decade deflationary period. Otherwise, that could be very detrimental to one of the you know fast growing econ- fastest growing economies and where we all heavily rely on exports from as well. Love it, guys! Great discussion and some some great points. And I think for the listeners, you, you some of you may be thinking, look, why does the Chinese deflation impact me? Why are we even talking about it? But hopefully, these points that have been laid out so great by Olu, Daniel, and P have given us the context and also the potential implications for whichever area that you're working in. Because ultimately, we are part of a global economy, and these things have repercussions in 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 most areas of our life in in some way or or other. So, with that, we'll be closing this uh, episode. Thank you for your your patience and and listening to us again. And I think I'll pass it over to, to Daniel to close us out properly. Yeah. So thank you all for listening to episode 192 of Take Flight Podcast. If you have any feedback for us, find us on Instagram. I was going to say Twitter. No, Instagram, TikTok and YouTube. We're not on threads, but feel free to DM us. Give us any feedback. Subscribe to us on YouTube as well. We appreciate all the feedback. We appreciate the support, whether you're a new listener or not. Until next week, stay safe and God bless. Take off, take flight with you. We never fly away